That video is shorter than we're used to. (laughs) Good morning, church family. We're so good to see you all here. As we continue in our sermon series about the power of weakness, it makes me think about a job interview. Think back to the last time that you had a job interview. We all love that question where they ask about your strengths, right? Finally, we get to shine. But then comes that dreaded moment where they ask about your weaknesses. Well, you know, sometimes I tend to lash out at my coworkers. Or, you know, uh, sometimes when there's a project deadline coming up and I just don't know where to start, I tend to procrastinate and just sit back and play Wordle on my phone. Or, you know, I've been told that I tend to be very inflexible and controlling. No, we play up our strengths and we hide our weaknesses, right? Are any of you fans of that TV show, The Office? Yes, okay, so I don't know if you remember when Michael Scott had an interview with Dunder Mifflin Corporate, and they asked him about his strengths and weaknesses. It's so funny, I wanna show you a clip of that right now. What do you think your greatest strengths as a manager? Why don't I tell you what my greatest weaknesses are? I work too hard, I care too much, and sometimes I can be too invested in my job. Okay, and your strengths? Well, my weaknesses are actually strengths. Oh. (laughs) Right? It's funny because we've all tried to answer the question exactly like that. We don't like to admit our weaknesses, right? We don't want to reveal our burdens and our pressures and our troubles because we know that that might be perceived as a sign of weakness or maybe even a lack of faith. Today, as we continue talking about the power of weakness, we're going to be talking specifically about the power of stress. Now, you know, when we preach, God always prefers that we speak out of lived experience and not just head knowledge, right? So let me tell you about my last few weeks. (laughs) I was already feeling overwhelmed preparing for this sermon and for the parenting conference we were gonna be hosting this weekend. And then I've added some responsibilities to my job in helping lead through our student ministry, uh, student pastor transition. And then Chris got COVID, my husband, and then I got COVID. And I was beginning to feel a little overwhelmed. We practice what we preach, right? Even this weekend, this morning at 4 a.m. and for the last two days, we've woken up with our son with 104 degree fever and throwing up. So God has been preparing me to talk to you about the overload of stress. (laughs) And I don't say this for sympathy. I know that many of you are thinking, let me tell you my story, sister, because you have all experienced it and maybe you're experiencing it right now. Well, today we're gonna be talking about the overload of stress that the Apostle Paul experienced when he was on his gospel mission in Asia. And we're gonna talk about the effect that it had on him. And we're gonna do a little bit of myth busting too. So listen as I read to you 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 through 11. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us, as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. All right, well, let's start with the myth-busting. It is 
uh, I want to confront a teaching today that maybe some of us thought was in the Bible, but it's not. It's popularly taught among Christians today that God won't give you any more than you can handle. I really like how that sounds. God won't give you any more than you can handle. But it's not true. At best, this saying is just a half-truth. Now, if we're talking about temptation, then yes, it's true. 1 Corinthians uh, tells us that God won't give us any more temptation than we can bear, and that when we are tempted, that God will always provide a way out. So for temptation, yes, it's true. God won't give you any more than you can handle. But if we're talking about stress or burdens or pressure, Scripture makes no such promise. In fact, the Apostle Paul goes to great lengths to tell the Corinthians that the opposite is true. Contrary to popular opinion, sometimes God does give us more than we can handle. God often allows us to go through circumstances that are far beyond what we, in our own human strength, can handle. Our stress, our pressure, our despair, they feel like more than we can bear. And you know, it can go one of two ways. Stress can break bones, and stress can build muscle. In fact, psychologists now distinguish between two different kinds of stress that they call eustress and distress. Eustress is a good stress that energizes us and motivates us to make a change. Distress is a bad stress that has a negative impact on our health and our well-being. So stress can lead you to two different places. And today we want to look at how God can use the power of stress for good in our lives. Now, do any of you in the room have January birthdays like me? Okay. Now, do any of you know what January's birthstone is? Some of the males in the room are looking at me like, huh? It's a garnet. Yes, I think I heard somebody say that. It's a garnet. And uh, uh, this is actually kind of cool. Does anybody know how garnets are formed? My grandpa's a geologist, was a geologist, and so I think that stuff like this is pretty interesting. Um, most garnets are formed when mud or clay uh, with a high aluminum content, such as shale, is subjected to heat and pressure. I think we have a slide about this. There we go. And so the high heat and the pressure, they act on the mud, the clay, the shale, and they break down, um, or they break the chemical bonds in the rocks. But instead of causing the minerals to, get, to be crushed and to get smaller, the heat and the pressure, the overload of stress actually causes the minerals to grow larger and to recrystallize. And so the new minerals that form, like garnet, are stronger, they're more stable, and of course they're more valuable. Now did you catch that? The stress that could have crushed and broken it actually produces growth and beauty instead. Now just like a garnet, God can take our overload of stress and can use it to create incredible growth and beauty in our lives. So our big question today is how can the power of stress work for my good? Now let's look at Paul's situation. Paul is in some sort of apostolic competition. There's this split among the Christians in Corinth about which apostle they're going to follow. And so we might expect the apostle Paul to try to minimize the trouble and the pressure he's facing, to try to hide his weakness. Like Michael Scott, you want him to say, I work too hard, I care too much, and sometimes I can be too invested in my job. But rather than casting himself as this super apostle, Paul puts forth a different kind of resume. Paul's open and honest about the hardships that he's facing, 
and this tremendous weight of pressure that he feels. Now, if that's how you're feeling today, I want you to know that you're in good company. Sometimes as Christians, we've bought into this lie that we shouldn't suffer or experience hardships. Some think that Jesus promises prosperity. Some insist that Christians should rise above it. Sometimes we think that we should just put on a happy face and pretend like everything is okay. But we don't have to be ashamed of the stress and the burdens that we bear. In Psalm 56, 8, in the message, I love how it says this. King David says to God, You've kept track of my every toss and turn through sleepless nights. Each tear entered in your ledger, each ache written in your book. So we don't have to hide what we're going through. No one is meant to suffer alone. And so the Apostle Paul wants the Corinthians to know about his overload of stress. Let's look at verse 8 together. It says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. Now, at this point, don't you want to just grab a cup of coffee and pull up a chair? I mean, you expect that we're about to hear this dramatic story of all of the hardships that Paul experienced when he was on his gospel mission in the province of Asia. But Paul doesn't go into all the details of what happened. Instead, he focused on what he experienced and the effect that it had on him. And as he talks about that, he's no minimalist, right? There's no bravado. He uses this string of superlatives to describe the effect it had on him. He says, we were under great pressure. I don't know if you're like me and you have kids who have been watching the Disney movie Encanto in your house on repeat. There's this character in there named Louisa that has the gift of strength. And she sings this amazing song about the pressure that she feels to carry everyone else's load. Feels like that. We were under great pressure. Paul says it was far beyond our ability to endure. So without God's intervention, he couldn't have even hoped to survive this. And he says, so that we despaired of life itself. I mean, this is the kind of anguish and pain that stamps out those very last embers of hope. And then look how he goes on to describe at the beginning of verse 9. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Now, friends, if you've felt like that, if you've felt the crushing weight of despair, if you've experienced that bitter feeling of hopelessness, if you feel like the difficulties and the stress of this life have carried you right up to death's door, you are not alone. And not only are you not alone, but God can use the power of stress to work for your, growth, your good, producing incredible growth and beauty, just like those garnets. So let's discover how. The first thing that we learn is that stress teaches us not to rely on ourselves. If you were going to sum this one up, you might say, fire me. I can't rely on myself anymore. Now, Chris and I have, uh, oh, wait, sorry. If you're following along on your scripture sheet, you'll notice that this is only one little part of verse 9. It's such an important verse, we're going to take it one bit at a time. So uh, let's look at uh, this next phrase of verse 9 from where we left off before. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves. We'll get to the end of this phrase in just a moment, but I want to focus on the middle first. My husband Chris and I have four kids, ages 5 through 11. And if you have kids, what is the most common question that they ask all the time? Now, if you're on a road trip, right, it's, are we there yet? But every single other day of the year, they ask, why? Why does the centipede have 100 legs? Why can't I have ice cream for dinner? 
And now that we have a five-year-old boy, why are potty words not funny to use with my friends? <laughs> so have you seen this meme from the Star Wars movie that's going around from Return of the Jedi? He says, once I became a parent, I finally understood the scene where Yoda gets so tired of answering Luke's questions, he just dies. <laughs> but we all want to know why, don't we? Especially when your troubles and your stress seem to be piling up so high that you feel like you're drowning. Most of the time, though, why is not the best question. The answer to most of our why questions can be traced back to the fall. Why do we suffer? Why do we experience so much stress? It's because we live in a fallen world that's in the process of being redeemed. Remember Jesus' promise, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So as we cling to that promise that Jesus can redeem everything, ultimately for our good and for God's glory, then the question we really want to ask is, how is God redeeming this? How can God use this to work for my good? We want to know that this crushing weight of stress is not for nothing. We want to know that some good can come out of it. And so we're looking for this word right here. That. As I thought about this the, this weekend, I thought this word that is really kind of like a hinge word. You think about a hinge on a door. Everything that came before it is a fixed trajectory, right? The wall that the door is hinged to is fixed. All the stress and the suffering that Paul experienced before, he really didn't have a whole lot of say in that. But this word that is a hinge. That door can swing a whole number of different directions, and this determines the outcome. So that, in order that. See, the word why looks backwards, so that looks forward. So this one word, that, tells us that God is still in the business of redeeming things. That one word tells us that God can use these troubles to work transformation in our lives. That one word tells us that just in the same way that a garnet is formed from the heat and the stress and pressure, growth and beauty can result from our stress. But what's the first thing we have to learn? That we can't do it all. We can't rely only on ourselves. See, a stress overload can help us to realize how limited, how finite our resources really are. Paul was out of options and out of hope. And sometimes we need a good dose of helplessness to learn that the, we can't rely only on ourselves. You know, sometimes in the U.S. we tend to exalt the self-made man. We admire somebody who can pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. We hear phrases like, look within yourself, find your inner strength. And to acknowledge our limitations can sometimes be seen as a sign of weakness. But throughout scripture, we are warned about the futility of trusting in ourselves. Jeremiah 17 says, cursed is the one who trusts in man. Psalm 146 says, do not put your trust in human beings who cannot save. Psalm 33 says, no warrior escapes by his own strength. And when we face an overload of stress in our lives, it helps us come to the end of our rope. We realize that we can't do the job on our own. It's time to say to ourselves, you're fired. You're no longer running the show. You've been demoted. You are not the head honcho. It says, this happened that we might not rely on ourselves. That's the first thing stress teaches us. And the second thing is this. Stress teaches us to rely on the God 
who raises the dead. Now, if we, were gonna, if we summed up the first point as fire me, then this time let's say hire God. The last few words of verse 9 are so powerful that they merit their own point in the sermon. Let's look at the second part of verse 9 again. This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. We've come to the point of helplessness. We've stopped relying on ourselves. Finally, we're ready to look beyond ourselves to the one we can rely on without fail. I love how a few other translations have worded this verse too. In the Living Bible, it says, we felt we were doomed to die and saw how powerful we were, powerless we were to help ourselves, but that was good. For then we put everything into the hands of God who alone could save us. You see that? We were powerless to help ourselves, but that was good. When things are at their worst, when all human resources and solutions are exhausted, that's when we are most receptive to God's power working in our lives. I love how Pastor Eugene Peterson paraphrased this verse in the message. Also, let's look at that one. As it turned out, it was the best thing that could have happened. Instead of trusting in our own strength or wits to get out of it, we were forced to trust God totally. Have you ever been so helpless that you were forced to trust God totally? Abraham Lincoln was known to have said, I have been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. Have you ever been there? Have you reached the point where you saw how powerless you were to help yourself and you had to put everything into the hands of God, forced to trust God totally? This is the power of stress. Stress teaches us not to rely on ourselves, but to rely on God. And what is God capable of? Look again at the end of verse 9. God who raises the dead. This, these words hit me with such force this week. We serve a powerful God. I mean, even before Jesus, the Old Testament is clear that God has the power to bring life out of what was dead. In Deuteronomy 32, it says, there is no God besides me. I put to death and I bring to life. 1 Samuel 2 says, the Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. And do you remember the story of Abraham and Sarah who God gifted with a child in their old age? Romans 4 tells us that Abraham believed in the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. And then, of course, the cornerstone of our faith is that after Jesus gave his life for us on the cross, God raised Jesus from death to life. Now, friends, this is good news. The God who spoke into the void and created beauty out of nothing. The God who calls into being things that were not. The God who held nothing back to rescue us is the God who gives life to the dead. Now, do you know what this means? Maybe you thought your marriage was dead, but God gives life to the dead. Maybe there are students or people in the room who thought that their reputation was dead, but God gives life to the dead. Maybe you are doing job interview after job interview and your job prospects seem lifeless. God gives life to the dead. Maybe all you see right now is that you've come to the end of yourself. Maybe you're looking at the overload of stress you're experiencing and you just don't see a way forward. But the God we serve is in the business of bringing new life from death. And Paul tells the Corinthians that he has experienced this resurrection power personally 
Not just once, but over and over again. Look at verse 10. He has delivered us. He will deliver us again. He will continue to deliver us. It's like the song we just sang, I'll see you do it again. The God who raises the dead to life is doing it again and again and again. And let's not miss the incredible difference that that makes for Paul. Remember in verse 8, he despaired of life itself. When he tried to rely on human strength, human resources, human solutions, all hope ebbed away. But now look, on him we have set our hope. What a difference it makes. This is not just a dream of deliverance. This is a confident hope, an expectation. We can have confident hope in the God who raises the dead. We can rely on the God who raises the dead. Now what Paul says next is a bit of a surprise. Although God does all of the heavy lifting in delivering us, in some mysterious way, it's also a team effort, a cooperative grace. Paul wants us to see that there is power in other people praying for us. Now, if we talked about the first point is fire me and the next point is hire God, let's call this one borrow prayers. See, Paul's hope is firmly fixed on God, but he also relies on the prayers of fellow believers. Have you ever told someone that you were praying for them and they looked at you with absolute certainty and said that they could feel it? I don't know if you know this, but our deacons and some other volunteers, every Sunday they pray for the person who's preaching that day, before the service and throughout the service as well. And let me tell you, we can feel it. It makes a difference. And this is a mystery that I have puzzled on all week. God has the power to raise the dead to life. What could our prayers possibly add to that? But somehow, in the way that God has designed things, we cooperate with God by praying for others. Look with me at verse 11. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. That verb help us literally means to closely cooperate. The message paraphrases it this way, you and your prayers are part of the rescue operation. So we see the power of people praying for one another many times in the New Testament. James 5 says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Paul tells the church in Philippi that his deliverance will come through their prayers and the Holy Spirit working together. We and our prayers are part of the rescue operation. Now friends, this is why as a church, we need each other. We were never meant to follow Jesus on our own. Have you experienced this? I wanna tell you about what was probably the most powerful moment I've ever experienced in a grow group here at this church. It was, I was 12 weeks pregnant with our first baby, Irena. I know when I said I was 12 weeks pregnant, you all thought, tell me something new. But <laughs> I was 12 weeks pregnant with our first baby, Irena, and Chris and I were so excited to share the news with our grow group. But when we did, our good friends next to us, their eyes just filled with tears. And they shared that they had just had a miscarriage. Well, the lesson was forgotten. We stopped, we hugged, we cried with them. And one by one, the other couples in the room began sharing their struggles with infertility and miscarriage. And we had no idea. But let me tell you how powerful it was. We spent the rest of the time praying for one another, praying for all of the hurting couples in our group, 
And before this day, we were all good friends. Before this day, we had no idea. For some of us, it can be hard to open up to others about our troubles and our stress and to ask for their help in prayer. But once we understand the power of other people praying for us, we realize how much we need it. We borrow prayers from our brothers and sisters in Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, a Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another, or it collapses. It lives and exists by interceding for one another in prayer. One of my favorite moments in every worship service is seeing you all pray for one another here at the prayer rail. Don't miss the power of this. You are cooperating with God. You and your prayers are part of the rescue operation. And so friends, let's not just make this a Sunday thing. Let's keep it up all week long. When you're commuting to work, when you're standing in line at the grocery store, when you're just standing around and brushing your teeth and some name is whispered into your mind, calling a particular person into mind, recognize the heavenly invitation and let's stop and pray for that person. They may need our prayers more than we know. And when we do closely cooperate with God by praying for one another, look at what a beautiful thing happens. It says, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. The more people we have praying for us, the more God gets glorified when the prayers are answered. Now I want to close with a story that Dallas Willard tells of a businessman named Robert McFarlane. Through a misunderstanding with a friend, Robert invested a large sum of money in a business that he didn't want. And after that followed three long years of effort and frustration and defeat. And as the stress piled higher and higher, one day on the way to the office, Robert was filled with this frantic urge to just turn left and disappear out of town. He was at the end of his rope. He was full of inner turmoil. But then, as though there was someone else in the car with him, he heard this voice. My son had strains that you will never know. And when he had those strains, he turned to me. And that's what you should do. Robert sat at the wheel for a long time, sobbing. He then drove to his office where he faced 22 major outstanding problems. And by the end of that day, all the significant ones had been resolved. Friends, this is the power of stress in our lives. Though we may not wish for an overload of stress, God uses our stress to teach us not to rely on ourselves, but on God and to see the power of prayer at work. Let's pray together. Lord, I'm not going to close this sermon by asking you to give us stress so we can practice this. But we know that many of us are already experiencing an overload of stress in the room. And if we're not now, we will. And so, Lord, we ask that you would redeem the stress that we are experiencing. That you would use the stress to work as a power for good in our lives. Lord, we ask that you would help us to come to the end of our rope and realize that we can't rely on ourselves Lord, help us to turn to you, the God who raises the dead, and to trust you totally, to place everything into your hands. And Lord, may we as a church body 
be faithful in lifting one another up in prayer and to realize the power in that. And Lord, may you receive multiplied glory as we see you answer these prayers in our lives. It's in the powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.